0: Welcome to the EAU podcast. Are you a young urologist embarking on the exhilarating journey from residency to professional practice? Or perhaps you're curious about the pivotal aspects of a urologist's life and the pursuit of excellence in the field? This special series on what do young urologists need to know are tailored just for you. Throughout this series, we delve into three segments essential for young urologists, In segment one, we navigate the transition from residency to professional urology practice. In segment two, we focus on the delicate balance required in the life of a young urologist. Finally, segment three explores the pursuit of academic excellence in urology. In this inaugural episode within segment one, joining us are Maria Pilar Moreno-Fontella, a consultant urologist at Torrejon University Hospital in Madrid, Spain. Also, we have Viru Casivisvanathan, an associate professor of urology and consultant urological surgeon at University College London and University College London Hospital, specialising in urological cancers. Together, they will discuss exciting topic titled, My Residency is Finished, How Will My Life Change? So, buckle up and tune in. Dear Viru, it's such
1: a pleasure meeting you. My name is Maria and think, well, you already know that I finished my residency six months ago. It's been like forever in this last uh, six months because many things have happened, so I was thinking about asking someone with more years of experience than me how these six months were for them. So may I, may I ask you some little things about your residency and your years as a neurologist? Well, so the first question would be, why urology? Why did you choose to get into urologist in, in UK?
2: Of course. Well, thank you, Maria, for hosting this and delighted to be talking to you. So why did I become a urologist? Well, initially, I didn't actually want to become a urologist. I wanted to become a vascular surgeon. Wow. I really loved, yeah, I loved the pathology. I loved uh, being in theatre. I loved the emergencies, and I loved the, the link between the research and the clinical work. And um, when I actually did some jobs in vascular surgery in my early years, I found that most of my patients didn't do that well. And I realized I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. I then did a job in urology, which I absolutely loved. Everything from the patient demographic to the types of procedures you could do. You could do things as a junior, like flexible cystoscopies. And as you get more senior, you can do more and more things. Um, Urology had really cool uh, tools and gadgets that you could use and there was such a variety in the different subspecialties. And one of the things that was quite important to me was that the research was quite clinically applicable. So I saw in my field that the work that my colleagues were doing was actually influencing the way we managed our patients. And academia was an interest of mine. So those are the reasons why I chose urology.
1: So that was while you were a student, I guess.
2: Initially as a student, but then as a junior doctor in my first year after qualifying.
1: Let me just clarify this one point in UK, you choose urology after a couple of years of residency,
2: is that right? Correct. So when you start off as a junior doctor, you typically do two years of what we call foundation program training, which covers general medicine. And in in my case, it was a bit of academic uh, practice and surgery as well. And the surgical specialties I rotated through included vascular surgery and neurology.
1: And what do you remember about these years? what What can you recall from that? What kind of values did you learn? and what do you remember every day about your residency if anyone asks you?
2: Yeah, so it's one of those things where you have to be present to learn in surgery. And I remember even from a medical student, just always being present and being there for the opportunities when they arose, even as a student, if you're not doing much in theater. Just being in that environment, um, putting yourself in the position of someone who's more senior, imagining whether you could do it yourself—that's the kind of thing I wanted to do from early on. And then as you as you train, the memories are yeah, they're sometimes difficult uh, times, working at strange hours, for example, when you're doing things like transplant and some of the on calls. Mm-hmm. But in general, just really enjoyable training and learning um, from a clinic setting, yeah. a theatre setting. And advancing your skill set as you went along so i think it was tough but enjoyable
1: and now did you have residents what do you want to learn from you and to learn from residency
2: yeah so um i we do have some residents quite senior residents and fellows we have in my subspecialty division we have about 10 fellows it's it's interesting being in a position where you're training someone else um, rather than being the resident and um, that's a responsibility I guess yeah huge responsibility and I, I feel like um I owe it to them to make sure they come out from the experience having learned what they set out to learn they don't achieve that I see that as my fault. I need to be the one who helps them to get there so um I, I see it as a great partnership with if there's a particular fellow who you're working with more closely you need to align your goals to remain interested in what they want to achieve from it and help them step by step to get where they want to so i do enjoy the experience and um, it's definitely a different type of experience to being a, a resident and maybe challenging in different ways um, but equally rewarding so is there any kind of piece of advice
1: that you always tell them like a, a sentence or a phrase that you always tell
2: your residents or your students so you know i think um there's different aspects to that. One thing is, if you're ever not sure what to do, always have the patient at, your, at the heart of what you do. And if you do that, then all of your decision making will be a bit easier. And the second thing I would say is to be a good resident. Just make sure you show up early, act interested and try to help and make the job of your seniors easier and if you do those things you're likely to succeed
1: so you've mentioned twice that uh, research is something that that you always highlighted like during your student phase and then afterwards being a resident and many people may know you for the uh, verse for the british uh research how did you get into all this like how did your your life change from residency to all these big things that you've done because everything comes into little pieces so I think at some point you could really see a big opportunity and and you could grab it take those things into into action into real life so could you please tell us a little bit about that phase?
2: Yeah so in the UK when you do your undergraduate degree in medicine at most universities you would do an integrated science degree with that so I did a BSc for one year in medical sciences with endocrinology. And when I did that, it's a new experience. You're experiencing research for the first time, and you don't really know whether you're going to be any good at it. Um, but I quite enjoyed it. I quite liked the attention to detail, and I thought I did quite well at the time. So I thought maybe something academic is of interest to me as I proceeded. And then in my in the UK, you have an opportunity to apply for what we call academic jobs, Which are jobs which have dedicated academic time in them as you train. So, as a first two jobs, I had some academic time as an academic foundation house officer. And then I applied for what we call an academic clinical fellowship, which is 25% of your time doing research whilst you do your surgical training. And then um, after that, uh, I did a PhD. And then after that, I did an academic clinical lecturer job, which is 50% of your time doing research whilst you complete your training. So, I had the opportunity to do some research as i went along and each time you have that experience you learn from your mentors you grow in terms of your ability to contribute to research and understand it and uh, with burst for example the british urology researchers and surgical training this was something that i was quite passionate about we had um, a talk at a national congress from a general surgeon who founded a general surgery research collaborative which was very very successful and after i heard his talk I said, we've got to do this in urology. And so after that, I founded the Burst Research Collaborative. And um, about six or seven years down the line now, you know, uh, we've done quite well.
1: So you were still at Resonant when you got into Funding Burst?
2: Yeah, I was in my, um, I think it was my first PhD year. We're still some time ago now. But um, my the first PhD year, uh, that's when I, I was inspired by the general surgery collaboratives. And I spent uh, about a year following some of those general surgery collaboratives, going to their meetings, finding out how they worked, um, setting up our founding principles, getting some mentors and supervisors on board, forming a national committee, um, having meetings, starting off very slowly because this is the first time we've done something like this. And, you know, when you first have ideas, it doesn't necessarily translate to something successful. So it takes a bit of trial and error to get there. But yeah, it was my first PhD year that I, I think I led most of that stuff.
1: Wow, very exciting to see how all this has gone big thing that it's worth now getting into um, the American Congress, for instance. So congratulations for all the paths you've done. And I want to ask you, you've got into um, your PhD and your research field very early. So what would you say? To someone that has never got any contact at all with this investigation and clinical trials and basic science field, how do you start?
2: So I think the most important thing is you don't need to have um, a large skill set when you start. The most important thing you need is an inquisitive mind and some enthusiasm and persistence. I would say um, affiliate yourself with a group who are good at doing this. Absorb yourself in their activities and try and contribute even if it's just something small at first, if you demonstrate you can do a job that you're given, they'll give you a bigger task next time. And by doing that, you will gain and learn from the network that you're in and uh, be able to contribute even more next time. If you decide that this is something that's for you, research after affiliating with the research group, then you can start to upskill yourself. So for example, Um, I did a few extra degrees in epidemiology, some health economics and some clinical trials master's. So I did a lot of extra um, background research and degrees to help me have the knowledge to contribute on a higher level. So um, that's also partly due to the UK system where you have an integrated academic clinical system, which helps. But it's possible to do it without that, too.
1: And then I've seen this thinking outside the box part of seeing what other things you can learn that make an extra interesting site. I don't know if I can express myself in a better way, but sometimes you have something that you want to learn and you see that there is something else that it's tangentially related, but maybe it makes you write more or understand better this auto field. So maybe at the beginning, like home economics, what was not the biggest part, but then you've integrated all this knowledge into into well your your science. So let's change a little bit. And right now, as a senior urologist, at least here in the conversation, what do you consider that it's the most difficult part of your job? Because I guess that you still find uh, many things that are challenging in your everyday practice or your everyday uh, life as a practitioner so
2: yeah so look honestly speaking I would not consider myself to be a very senior urologist I'd consider myself to be a junior urologist <laughs> what I've experienced in the time and um, I've had so your question is about what the most challenging thing is mm-hmm. so I think for me I have to manage clinical and academic work so I spend half my time doing clinical work and half my time at the university doing research and I think balancing those two things whilst being successful at both is quite difficult Um, It relies on having excellent colleagues to help you. And I think the balancing act and the work-life balance is quite tough. I think the second thing, probably when you start, um, the clinical work is challenging. Um, You're taking on new cases and new responsibility. And uh, every time you uh, have a patient in your hands, it's their life in your hands. And um, as, as the senior person, the buck stops with you. So I think that responsibility and being able to take on difficult cases is a challenge. And um, I learn every day from my excellent colleagues in my hospital. And when I have really difficult cases, I'll make sure I discuss it with one of my senior colleagues beforehand. Sometimes I make sure one of my senior colleagues is around just in case I need their help. So I think there there are there are a few aspects that can help answer that question.
1: And how did you get to build that confidence among your colleagues? And how did you get to to get that reputation somehow between colleagues, both well, both colleagues and also patients? How do you do that?
2: Yeah, so um, it's tough, but what I would say is I've got a really good team at my hospital who I've known for a long time, and so um, I was very invested in the, in them, and they are invested in me. And I spent an extra year doing a fellowship um, in Australia, which helps gain uh, extra skills clinically and academically at the time um, to help me get to where I am, to have the confidence to go out and be an independent practitioner. And then I think within our group, um, we're quite a high volume center. So the types of operations I do include robotic radical prostatectomy and some vocal therapy. And as a radical prostatectomist, it's a, a volume game where the higher volume you have in general as a center, your outcomes tend to be better. So being surrounded by people who are all very high volume, where we all together look at our outcomes and um, constructively try to achieve better is the way that I drive myself to be better as well.
1: So do you think it should be mandatory or at least uh, like a high recommendation uh, to go into a fellowship? some where they have high volume in the technique you want to learn or at least in the field, that you're more interested in? Um,
2: look, I think mandatory is a hard is a set. <laughs> Maybe it's hard to work. Yeah, what I would say is this. I think in um, certain specialties where you're learning a certain skill using a particular tool, for example, the robot, it is nice to have an extra experience. I think often as a resident, it's you want to get to the end And you want to be independent. But honestly speaking, you've got a long career ahead of you. And to me, there's no rush in getting there. If you can increase your experience and not just your clinical experience, your life experience, I think it will make you a better urologist if you do have extra experiences in other places. And uh, in the UK, commonly for cancer type of jobs, people tend to do fellowships. But not always. You can have a really good experience in your centre. And there might be an opportunity that comes up for you to take a job. And then you would take it. But I think if you can plan something into it to help you gain your independence and confidence, a fellowship is really great. I would recommend it.
1: And would you recommend it just after residency or a couple of years later, once you've decided what subfield you want to get into?
2: Yeah, again, I think that partly depends on how your practice is back home. So for us in the UK, we do a quite, quite a subspecialist practice. So I would recommend in that case to do your res- your fellowship at the end of your residency when you know what you want to do. If your practice is quite broad-based when you're at home, and perhaps it doesn't matter whether you do it necessarily right at the end or you could do something in the middle. And I know many residents from certain countries in Europe tend to do fellowships at different times, not just at the end, in the, in the middle, for example, as well. And not just one fellowship, more than one fellowship. So um, I think there are a number of different models that can work.
1: Okay. And and after your fellowship, how was it to go back home to the UK? How did you find those first months as a like real independent urologist.
2: Um yeah, there were um I guess moments that you don't forget when um you're doing your cases on your own for the first time really. And it was a great sense of um satisfaction being in the position where you've worked some for something for about 10 years to get to that place and then finally doing it. And so uh, really enjoyable, stressful when you know when you do your first case and you know you want to make sure everything goes well for the patient. And you, you. so you remember that feeling. But as I say, I have very good colleagues around me. So I knew if I needed any help, I could just call. They're all at the end of the phone. Support is a big part of
1: the early years and the early career.
2: I think so. I think it's important you work somewhere where you feel supported, where you have good colleagues. And um, that's probably, to me, the most important thing in one of your early jobs.
1: We haven't talked uh, much about some other aspects of the life as an early urologist, but how did you manage to get a uh, work and, and how is your family balance somehow? How did you manage that? Because, I mean, at the very beginning, maybe you get to spend 12 hours working or or reading papers, keeping up to date, studying. And and this can go on and on forever because life is short and the you know, science and, and the
2: art is very long. It's very extensive. So
1: how did you manage that part?
2: Yeah. So honestly speaking, I probably have more time for a better work-life balance now than I did when I was a resident. As a resident, with the on calls and traveling. In the UK, we often travel to different hospitals at different stages. Um, there was a bit of instability, and it's probably a bit harder. I had slightly younger children at that time as well. I think now it's a bit easier, to be honest. And um, how, how do I balance it? It's tough with academia and clinical work together. But I think um, when you have a fixed timetable, that makes things easier. And as a consultant in the UK, your timetable is planned in advance, and so you have to stick to something like that regularly. And that does help allow you to plan the rest of your life around that as well. And you know you have the base where you plan to be for the foreseeable future, I think that helps.
1: So you tell that to the residents is like, keep on going, like things will get better at some point or? Well, to, to be honest, I mean, because it's it's hard to, yeah. to find that balance. And if you have a couple that it's not a doctor or you have children or or you're planning to, to I don't know, wedding or, or a house. It's tough. Also, that part of your life is, is tough and it's present and people have to have a lot of patience with you.
2: There's always an end in sight. And um, providing you're progressing at the appropriate pace, there is always an end in sight. And as long as you know that in your mind, try and just enjoy the experience as you go.
1: And have you found any resident during those years, any colleague or maybe a younger resident that you have now, just have thought about quitting, about stopping everything and just leaving urology and, I don't know, opening a bakery or anything about uh, now I'm being a doctor
2: yeah I mean I've got lots of friends um who have left medicine um I wouldn't necessarily say urology specifically but other friends who for example went into uh, cardiothoracics or cardiac surgery and have left and are doing many amazing things now running their own business and very happy and successful so I think um yeah it's it's possible that happens it's it's real life you have to follow your heart and do what you're passionate about and this is this is a long and difficult career and Sometimes the right decision is, yeah, in, in some cases to do something different. Uh, but on the whole, I found that most of my colleagues who I, you know, trained with as, in residency have proceeded to go on to urology and be consultants in urology.
1: So what would you say if just tomorrow one of your residents came and, and as, a, as a confident told you like, hey, I'm thinking about quitting and there's too much pressure. I don't know what to do. What would, you, what would you tell this
2: person? So I think it's important to understand why they've thought that. Is that something they've thought for a long time or is it just being a sudden thing now? Sometimes there are life circumstances that change, things that happen in life that can make you feel like that, but it's just a temporary blip. And so it's important to, I think, evaluate it over a, a longer time period rather than just how you feel at that time. Um, and yeah, I, I would support them in, in what they wanted to do really. It's, um, I think it's nice to be able to finish something so even if you don't want to, to be a take up a consultant job, it's nice to finish something because it does help as well. So say, for example, uh, people who move from uh, clinical work into, say, do a bit of research. Often I've seen them go into industry and they leave their clinical work behind. And um, having finished your clinical degree does help. You can always do more clinical work uh, afterwards or keep up your clinical work. And if things don't work out in industry, you can go back and do things. So um, I think it's nice to keep your options open, but obviously you have to be able to make it to the end to to say that. Nice.
1: <laughs> I would love to hear those words from from a, a colleague or, or a teacher, from a mentor,
0: if I have those kind of thoughts. It's very nice. Thank you for a captivating episode on My Residency is Finished. How will my life change? We are sure our listeners enjoyed it. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll be talking how to prepare and keep updated your resume. To keep up with the latest EAU podcasts and stay informed on urological advancements, be sure to subscribe to our EAU podcast channel on your favourite podcast app. Until next time, keep learning and stay inspired.